G'day everyone, welcome to the show, welcome back to Conversations with Code 9, I'm your host, Ambassador Tiffany Cook, it's a pleasure to be back with you, and very much so today, because today's guest is amazing, I really, as you're about to hear, I adored being immersed in this conversation with today's guest, Dean Mile. Dean is someone, like who many of us, as an adult came face to face with his own confronting mental health challenges. Today, we meander through a conversation around sweeping trauma and PTSI under the rug and trying to just get on with life for way too long. About the innate joy, healing and connection that Dean and myself as a teenager discovered in horses. And of course, the incredible work that Dean's foundation, The Path of the Horse, is now doing as a result of his own experience in equine therapy. I think that you are going to love this chat. And if not, well... I can tell you what I sure did. Enjoy. Dean Mile, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Tiffany. It's great to be on your show. Oh, I'm very excited and I've heard many, many, many good things about yeah. you from the wonderful Mark Thomas from the Code 9 Foundation. And I recently had a, a conversation on my show on equine therapy and horses and I'm just I adore them and I adore the conversation, so I'm super excited to be able to do it all again with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I'm a bit passionate about those furry four-legged things as well. They're, uh, they're beautiful, beautiful creatures, yeah. They are something else, aren't they? Did you grow up with horses? What came first, the therapy or the horses, the interest, interest-wise? Um, I... Started riding because uh, a girlfriend insisted when I was about 24, we're going horse trail riding. And uh, I'd been, yeah, uh, <laughs> and I'd go, no, I was mum a motorcyclist, you know, I don't do that. I used to race motocross and those sort of things. And, you know, I like to have control and figuring an animal's going to have its own mind and do what it wants. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd spent a lot of time away and, and so I went and I, what I was amazed was was just how this beautiful being would let me on its back and it was so calm and kind. And I remember wandering through the Barmer Forest up near the Mari River in, around Strathmerton Way and I just wandered away from all the other riders and I just took in the bush and the beauty of it and the animals and I was just had this calm come over me that, I'd forgotten about what that was like. I'd had a lot of traumatic events go on in my life. And if people said, are you calm? I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm calm. But I'll never forget that feeling that it was a long time ago. I'm 59 now, so it's gone back a lot of years. But that feeling was just amazing, just to to really be in the here and now. So that was my introduction to horses. And within a month, I had my own horse and I was working at the child riding place every weekend. Wow. So it was, a, it was very much love at first sight. Oh, you sound like me. You sound, yep, all in, all in. <laughs> 100%. Well, you know, they they brought something to my life that um, I, I didn't expect. They showed me something about myself that I hadn't realised that through trauma um, I'd lost being in the here and now. I lost the ability to kind of self-regulate, and I didn't realise how bad I was. Mm. 
um, but just kind of being around them and really having a love and respect for the horses and equal being, it was, yeah, it was so profound. So that was a long time ago. And then I went on, um, I'd been in the army. Um, I went on to have a career in the trade union movement and that was all consuming. And then I left that. I wanted something more. I was 50 years old and I saw a documentary on Discovery Channel about two American Afghanistan military vets doing a, a pack horse ride through the Colorado mountains. Both these, these men had post-traumatic stress injury, I like to call it. I hate calling it a disorder. It really, mm-hmm. it really kills me. For many of the people listening to this podcast, you know, there's a stigma that goes, oh, you've got a disorder. And I say, no, you don't. You've got an injury, whether it's military, police, emergency services, you're injured. Yeah. You know, if it's not a broken leg, people don't see it, but um, it is to me an injury. So this documentary was fascinating and just what they were sharing, something about the beautiful environment, something about being with the horses in their gentle, non-judgmental way that they are was just profound. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I'd love to do that. I've got a place in Trentham. We're surrounded by the beautiful Wombat State Forest on 29 acres. It's very private, really beautiful, um, lovely connection with nature. And uh, we've got 11 amazing horses now. But back then, you know, we had a paddock with a shed in it. We've worked uh, for five years now establishing the path of the horse. It's a charity. It's not for profit. And, yeah, in that five years we have worked so hard, um, Funding's very limited for us. We've seen military and emergency service workers and their family and they've never paid to come here. Um, That's a tough business model, um, but that's kind of what we wanted to do when we've made it. You know, we do other work with private clients and national disability insurance scheme, kids with autism, ADHD, adults, with trauma, you know, anxiety, depressions, and um, I completed my studies as a psychotherapist last year after four and a half years, and late in life, that was tough. But um, most of my work is trauma-focused. That's what I've trained in, uh, along with autism, um, ADHD, um, uh, personality disorders and all that. I'll never stop learning. I'll never stop wanting to learn. So been quite a journey, Tiffany, really has. Oh, I'm so into it. I'm so into it. I love, I remember recently, and I mentioned this on the other podcast, I remember raising the question in a discussion we were having about, you know, the world. And I remember saying, do you think the world would be a, a better place or a more emotionally sound place if humans didn't develop language and my reasoning for that was because I've got a whippet I've got a dog and I'm like you you invite a dog into your life and there is unconditional love and there is nothing but behavior to communicate with Mm. there's nothing but like I remember the day I just got goosebumps thinking about this I remember the day I had to get my dog spayed and I go to pick her up and she's got a cone on her head and she's looking at me and her ears are back and her tail's under and my heart sank and she's groggy on her feet, and I can't say, it's okay, you've just had to have this procedure and you'll be fine. It was like, she has no, all she knows is I brought her here, I left, she was terrified, she's had something happen, I come back, she's still terrified, has no idea what's going on. And when I think of horses, and I think of that same philosophy, but the added layer is 
they are <laughs> they're an enormous beast they're enormous and so you i think man we think we're the master of the dog i'm the boss so we get that but there's a lot you know like we still think we're the boss whereas you go up to a i don't know how much horses weigh i probably should but you certainly don't walk up to a horse and go right i am the boss of you most people are you know often terrified yeah it's different levels the playing field doesn't it oh it's amazing I, I love dogs um i've got a kelpie and um he's about eight years old now and he's a legend a path of the horse he he's our welcoming committee i mean dogs <laughs> are predators right but He's got no boundaries. He's a farm dog, runs his own show, and he just wants to love everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, so and he's wonderful. And, you know, sometimes we get children that will come there and they'll meet Oz, our Kelpie. Um, his full name is actually Osama bin Kelpie because when he was puppy, he was a bloody terrorist. But <laughs> he, um, you know, and it, it, yeah, and even when we're doing sort of room-based, if I'm doing room-based work and someone's feeling triggered, Oz goes to them. You know, animals are amazing. They have no language, no verbal language. But they have a very much a, a body language. And mm. I think that's the key, whether it's dogs or horses. And horses come at it from a different perspective. They may be big, you know, like most of mine are full-grown horses. Some I've had for a long time, some that are rescued, we take on too many and that's my fault um yeah i'm not good at no but i had to get better but yeah so horses yeah people can come tiffany with a fear mm. of horses and i love that um once they meet our herd like we look at our herd as equal beings and one of the things we invite people to do is um to meet one if they're a bit fearful i'll have one um a real calm horse i've got the world's laziest horse actually in george <laughs> and he's wonderful and he's curious you know he's great with the wheelchairs he's just so tolerant and easy going and if they've got a fear of horses it's a beautiful way to start to meet them realize actually i can be safe most people come there with a when i was on school camp story i got bitten but you know my horse bolted all those sort of things but we don't do any riding work. Very, very seldom would we do any mounted work. It's got to be of some therapeutic value. And you made a really important um, observation about nonverbal. And we'll invite people, go in and notice the horse. Go in and meet them. Go and see how it's responding to you. Notice the little thing, the ears, the eyes, the position of the head, its body language, and notice what's happening for you when you do it. And what happens is virtually invariably is people find they get out of their head, they get into the here and now in this experience with this big horse and all horses, go and meet them all. And they're different personalities shaped by their lived experience just like us. Mm. So it's um, – and notice there – non-verbal language all through their bodies, their breath, you know, they self-regulate with their breath. They're wonderful teachers, but um, it's learning how to listen. That's the key. And I love showing people that. And people come with a fear of horses. No one ever leaves, uh, particularly with our herd, because they just interact with people. They're always kind. People are kind to them. Very few of them ever get ridden, and um, except the odd trip 
by me to the pub through the bush, which <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying, but that happens occasionally. But, yeah, so it, it's noticing and yeah, people from the racing industry, Tiffany, come and they go, don't you, do you drug your horses? And I said, no, we love them instead. You know, we, we care for what they're saying. We respect their yes and their no because we know what they're saying, yes and no. And we respect their boundaries. And some of that work is amazing work with clients. It taps into themes and patterns in their lives. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting, Tiffany. Like I do room-based work sometimes or a bit. I can have conversations outside in a beautiful environment with horses that I couldn't possibly have in a therapeutic clinical environment. I think that's the beauty of the work. Mm. I know you can't give specifics, but you do have. Do you have some uh, like an example of that that you can use? Oh God, hundreds, <laughs> uh, hundreds. One of the things that you know, I, you've always got to. I find I've always got to hold very lightly. If I get a call from, um, oh, oh there's a, a a female ex Vic Pole um, officer came out. And she'd been through a world of trauma and a whole lot of moral injury as well, and I'll maybe say a bit more about that later. But she was very anxious. You know, sometimes it's hard. With trauma, it can be hard to go somewhere new. Um, you can be anxious about what you might experience. And, you know, the first time is about our relationship, where we can go, how it can help. We walked down and said, Let's walk out together and meet the whole herd in the paddock just as they're roaming and grazing. And we talked about how the horses use their breath to self-regulate when they're anxious, which is a real important foundation for us. And I said, just let's take some time and slow down and work on some techniques for that. And I noticed there was a horse. I've got, he's got two blue eyes, a chestnut. His name's Cruz. He's not a very smoochy kind of horse. Um, he's... A bit aloof, but he'd been a ridden horse a lot. So ridden horses, usually it's all about the horse is like um, an it. We, we have I, thou, and I, it. I, it is like a motorcycle. It is uh, something that does a job for you, like a racehorse or a mm. dressage horse, whereas we also, you know, we have I, thou, which is you as an equal being. So our horses kind of get very used to being respected and noticed and this horse had his eyes on this, this lady every time she was walking around. And I noticed him looking at her, and he's not like that. Wow. When he went to meet her, the connection was amazing. He rubbed her head. You can't write scripts for this. And that connection, he almost invited or initiated the connection, almost the sense of knowing she needed someone to acknowledge her and, and see her that day. So we we got her, and I won't use the name, but we got her and Cruz in a round yard together. And she'd been quite shut down, quite disassociated. And I was on one side of Cruz and she was on the other. And this conversation started. You know, so I'm on one side of the horse. I'm aware of my masculinity as well and what that can represent. Mm -hmm. So, and her uh, trauma experience had been at the hands of men within her work. So with this horse between us, this conversation starts. 
and this lovely connection she had and she was absolutely in the moment. Like her mind wasn't anxious for the future or wasn't embedded in her traumatic memories, but she was in the here and now. So we had this lovely conversation about what that felt like. And for her, it was very unfamiliar. So this bond started with this horse and she's been back yeah, many times since they're bloody inseparable. She walks down the paddock and he follows her anywhere. It's, and he's never done that with anyone else. So you, you, it's really fascinating that what they see in us, what they think we need, where they're at at that day. Um, you know, just some amazing experiences that come up for people where horses lay down. Mm-hmm. Lovely sand here. The horses like to come and lay down and. We got Jesse, who's a little quarter horse, and he um, he loves to use people as a pillow. So when he lays down and sits down in the sand, he's sort of waiting for someone to come along. So he put his head back in their lap, oh. totally using us, his, us as his bitch. Don't worry about that. So <laughs> his face out I am sand. in love with Jesse. <laughs> yeah, well, a few of them do that because we don't ask anything more of them just than to be a horse. And I'll tell you what, I've had some amazing experiences. We don't try, I don't train them to do it. Um, they've got to want to do it. It's got to be an authentic reaction. If they lay down and put their head in your lap, you get no greater trust on earth than a prey animal putting its head in, in, in our lap and just breathe with it. And your mind can't be anywhere else. So if we can quieten our mind and learn to come back to the present. It's the foundation for managing anxiety, depression, and trauma. So those important principles really inform most of our work. If someone comes to got PTSD, I'm not going to crash into that. I want to know, can you self-regulate? Can you manage like I learned to? And often it's a segue into mindfulness work, Tiffany, we do as well. So it's a lovely start and people, you know, if they're out there and they're out of their heads or they, they're with the horse and you say, what did you experience? And they said, oh, I'm so calm. And, you know, if we can start to find calm again and rewire the neurological pathways, that's the best start for healing trauma. And that's where the horses are beautiful assistants, you know. So that's kind of how they assist us. That's how they help us. Mm. Do you know a lot about the science around that electromagnetic field of theirs, you know, that heart math type stuff that I feel like in terms of our nervous system, you know, like rolling around on the carpet with my dog and staring into her eyes is just next level amazing and, it, you know, and I just think it takes, you take a horse that's so much bigger and, and I know that there's science out there on that. I've heard snippets of it but I don't really know much about it. Do you? Not a lot about the science, but um, but I noticed some incredible things like horses being prey animals, you know, through all of their evolution, they've been hunted by lions and tigers and wild animals. Um, so their first is instinct is to flight. Um, and then second is instinct is they can't flight, they fight. Now, a lot of trauma sufferers will relate very, very clearly to that. So a horse uh, has a lovely inbuilt sense of awareness at all times. Um, It's hard to actually model that horse being having this great sense of awareness when it's lying down with its head in your lap. But 
<laughs> that's that's the trust that's overcome that, you know, that beautiful feeling yeah. for both the horse and you. But they, their, percept- their, their ability to notice the little things. I had a, a lady with us this winter gone. She was 26 and she was freezing cold. She had this big puffer coat on. And before we went out, she said, Dean, I'm four months pregnant and will I be okay? I said, you'll be fine. I said, but don't be surprised if the horses notice. So we walked into an arena area and I had two horses and one horse had had a real bear, we call him. He had a real traumatised past, real violent traumatised past in the hands of this bastard of a bloke who was also a bastard of a bloke to his wife. You know, if someone Mm. beats animals Mm. or hurts animals, Mm. they ain't a good human. And we walked in and Bear, with his being through trauma, and he's very loving and gentle, but he put his head down. He walked across the arena about 20 metres in such a slow, you talk about body language, slow, non-threatening way with his head down and he wanders over. And he put his nose right on the lower part of her tummy. Oh, God. And she was a little worried and it's almost like he was saying, oh. And then he started licking her coat. And he said to me, she said, how does he know? Did you tell him? I said, well, I sent him a text. (laughs) He hasn't got back to me yet. (laughs) But, you know, they will notice. And it's often, Tiffany, the horses who have had a traumatic past that we've rescued, that their sensitivity is heightened just like people. And they often bring so much to the work, you know, like uh, too sudden of a hand movement in the horse's head and they'll, whoa, and then they'll realise, oh, so it's like a trigger, the hand near the head where the horse was beaten. You do it quickly and their mind just goes back to the trauma, but then they realise very quickly, oh, no, it's okay, I'm safe now. Mm-hmm. And over years with a horse, it'll stop doing that when it's learned that it's safe. We all want to be safe and we all want to feel safe. And sometimes it's hard. So, yeah, they, they can throw up some amazing things, but they notice everything and their feedback is so honest to us. You know, it's pretty great creatures to work with. My heart is just exploding in my chest and it's because I have all of these memories of when I was a teenager and had my horses and I and you're just bringing them to the surface like I just remember what it was like having their massive head just rubbing up against my shoulder and you're just like oh, yeah amazing tell me a little bit about some um, uh, like the autistic children or, or people with, um, I can't remember the term for it. Special needs. Well, let's go with that. Yeah. So we, we initially we, we founded the charity, the Park the Horse, with a focus on I wanted to just give something back to military and emergency service workers. And that's kind of how we started, but we never got any... Unfortunately, Department of Veteran Affairs don't fund our work because it fits, doesn't fit within their legislation. They love us. They keep telling me mm. about the work we do. But um, 
And the same with VicPol, to be brutally honest. We've got no support from VicPol, no funding, um, had a few promises, had a bit of interest, and then it goes away despite the work we do. So um, that's been a little disappointing. Same with fire and ambulance. So it's, uh, so it's made it pretty tough, but sort of our private paying clients and kids with autism and and the NDIS, where we do get paid, just helps keep us alive and keep going. But working with kids with autism isn't something I saw myself doing. Um, so I spent, after I completed my psychotherapy training, I studied ADHD and autism and because we have more kids coming. Mm. And I actually love it. I love I'm so curious about how they see the world, how they experience it. You've really got to work. You've really got to be noticing everything and be really open to and curious about how they see the world and experiential learning with the horses. Like a lot of autistic kids get bullied and um, because they're different and, and that can be tough. So their self-confidence is eroded, their trust is eroded. So we, we actually will work with them to act, work with the horses and they could be um, leading a horse, leading a horse through obstacles. And there's this eight-year-old little girl leading 550 kilograms of horse and, and working with it and controlling its feet, you know, self-esteem and confidence, you know, working on that, working on trust. And we might even offer Tiffany a mounted session more, more for those kids, like, you know, what would it be like for you to be on a horse? And it'd be, it wouldn't be, oh, the kids, kids come and go, oh, I want to ride a horse. And I'll go, well, you're not. But if it's a therapeutic benefit, we might do it. And I've noticed particularly with autistic children that if I put them on a horse, they can, and we walk around, so that gentle motion and, again, a conversation can happen because with a lot of autistic people, eye contact's difficult. Mm. So they're on a horse, so we're not talking. You know, again, it's, an, it's a different environment to talk about feelings. Yeah. And I find that, you know, sometimes we can really reach kids in particular um, if they're up there, like, you know, they're two foot taller than I am, I'm leading on the ground, and there's no eye contact, no pressure, and that lovely motion of walking with a horse, it just had some, yeah, standing um, sessions with some autistic kids that can share feelings and maybe articulate them where they haven't been able to do that before. So our work and the demand for our work from that part of the community is just growing. You know, we've had to, we're putting an additional person on, got a young woman who's got a BA in psychology and knows horse has done that, just getting that much work. That is so, so powerful. I was, yeah. I was at the, the vet the other day and there was somebody in the veterinary rooms and a young child and I'm going to call, I'm going to say an auntie, another family member, so I'm going to call her an auntie. And I, I don't know, I'm guessing this boy may have been eight or nine and I could hear him, so they kind of walked around near the other rooms and I could hear him saying, some, like talking, and but couldn't make out everything he was saying. But then he got quite loud and he was saying, 
don't hurt me and he was you know it was like I could see the behaviors and I and I was just going I just I just want to I just wanted to understand what it felt like in his world and then he was he I could see him glancing out to see that I was in the waiting area he was like there's a human there's a human help like help stop hurting me and she was she you know she was she placed her hand softly on his ears and he goes my ears ow stop it and uh-huh. I just you yeah. know I just we just don't understand so much about humans and I think that when you can offer a service like you do that is going to reach in and make a difference it's amazing to me yeah that little that child may have been autistic Tiffany and you know there's and again you know there's labels PTSD is a label Autism is a label. ADHD is a label. Um, mm. Bipolar is a label. All these labels. There's a unique person there. Mm. And, you know, it's like dealing with trauma, for example. No, no two experiences are the same. People can go through the same traumatic event and be mm. impacted completely differently. So, yeah, for, for a lot of autistic kids, sensory issues, um, yeah, the ears, the hearing, the little triggers that set them off. And just think how tough life is mm. for those parents. Mm. And with, with all the kids, look, being honest, it, it, it's almost exclusively the mothers who bring their kids to see us. And sometimes they might have two or three kids under 10 who have got autism and ADHD, hyperactive kids, and I look at them and I go, my God, you are some of the most resilient people Mm. I know. Uh, Their kids come first on everything. They're doing their absolute best they can to work with the kids, get a diagnosis, get treatment if it can, bring them to places like ours. So we've actually started just now um, doing whole day sessions for groups of mums with kids with special needs. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So that came up. So it's not just the child. I look at the parents and the mum who's trying to hold that world together in a similar way that if you think about um, when someone has post-traumatic stress injury, you know, you're, it's hard to feel safe. You can be easily triggered, particularly if it's new and you've done no work on it, you know, like that can be really hard going and, quite frankly, anger is a major issue. Mm. And and so it can be violent as well. So all of a sudden you've got women, for example, a mother who's got three kids trying to hold the world together while their husband's in a violent rage because of his trauma. Yeah. And... Inability to self-regulate hasn't been shown, hasn't been trained, hasn't maybe reached out. And they're calling the police in to, you know, to just to be safe. I mean, these people who don't have the diagnosis, largely women, uh, what support's in it for them? Mm. Do you know that? And I've met some amazing, amazing women. And while in the military, yes, if you've got PTSD, there's all, all the support you, you, you could want. But what about the partner? You know, yes. so we're really mindful of that. Yeah. Oh, 
I worked with the Victorian Ambulance in 2020 quite heavily in our lockdowns here in Melbourne and I'd just started my podcast and it was the biggest question to me because I stepped into the boxing ring at 29 and found a version of me that I didn't know existed and, you know, unpacked a whole lot of layers of stuff and kind of went, oh, like this boxing ring was a metaphor and something brought me in here and when it brought me in here I connected with this fight or flight environment in a comfortable way and that was intriguing to me and so I was raising the question you know are there first responders out there who are who are having that experience where they are falling into this job or attracted to this job because there is a level of fight and flight environment like being a first responder that's just home for them it's just comfort because that's what their that's what their nervous system knows and I you know we look at partners and parents just like you said partners and parents and family members and the amount of emails I've gotten over the last 18 months from family members going thank you I understand now we I don't yet know how to help but now I understand what I'm in the middle of yeah that's great Tiffany I'm curious about your experience and what you learned but you know that's personal I get that but but doing something so life-challenging mm-hmm. as you did, yeah, is incredible. You learn stuff. You know, I'm 59. I'm learning stuff about myself every week. Yes. We never stop growing. We never stop changing. And if we do, we're incredibly stuck and it's not good. And I loved also that your work has helped highlighting things like living with someone with trauma and there is, there's good, some good information out there on what it's like. You know, my partner, I, I still have bad days and days where I feel I can't pull my boots on, but I've, got, I've done a lot of work on that. You know, I've, I love my mindfulness. It has been my medication-free joy to self-regulation mm-hmm. and a better life. And I've, I've worked through trauma and managed that as well. But, yeah, it's so important, you know. But I realise when I impact my partner and sometimes I do that, you know, I might be triggered when I go out somewhere um, and I've got to learn to talk about that better than just want to do a runner. I've just got to, yeah, not so much anymore, um, but but a lot better. A lot of your listeners will relate to hypervigilance when that when we're triggered and become hypervigilant. Everything is a threat. It's a shit place to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, again, self-regulation skills and you can learn to manage that. It's, uh, yeah, there is help out there. Don't get stuck on, I say don't get stuck on medication as being the answer. It's not the answer, not long-term. Yeah. You know, I see so many um, Vicpol military people come out of psych wards um, on a ton of medication that, they take away the fight and flight response, all right, but you just can't feel the world. Sometimes can't feel the things. So it's real important that if you that we also are doing the therapy work behind with a good trauma informed therapist to mm. to help as well. And you know, sometimes in some sessions, I'll have the partner there. Mm. You know, if we if it's good, you know, to get a, a unique insight or to it is because it's a team thing living with trauma. It's uh, if you're married and you've got kids, it's they're all in it. Mm. 
I th- I feel like I don't know if you if this will resonate with you. I feel like when we we find ourselves in in a place in life, or maybe over time. Usually, I think a lot of stuff goes on subconsciously and and sets a foundation within us before we even know. Like I was twenty nine, I had this identity that I believed was me. I I had these opinions of who I was in the world and what was going on, and I thought I'd stepped in the boxing ring to show off and just do another big thing in Melbourne, and. You know, and in no time I start asking myself the question like, uh, you know, are you really brave? Are you really independent? Are you? Do you really have all the? And I was like, what are you? What are you scared of? You know, and it, mm. what what I realised was everything that I had viewed as a strength that I was so proud of, and they are strengths. I won't take them away from myself. They are strengths, but they existed because they were a coping mechanism to to protect me from that which really terrified me and that which terrified me and everything I constructed to keep me away from that eventually isolates you from everybody because you can or for me I constructed a Tiffany Cook that really wasn't closely connected or known by anyone kind of probably even myself so you have a day where you have a bad day or you you're feeling like you need to reach out and I remember times when I was like ah I can't. I can't reach out to anyone because no one would have a clue that this that I could feel like this. Yeah, I haven't. You know, I haven't made any deposits in anyone's emotional bank account for this sort of support. And I feel like, especially with people in roles like, like Vic Pole and and first responders, who are they have a role to serve and protect. So that that is just subtly embedded in them from all angles, and yeah. you carry that home. You can't. You don't switch it off. You don't take off the uniform and take off your personality and take off all of your traits. You can't. So rant over. <laughs> Tiffany, that, thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm I, I, very curious. You know about it and. Not appropriate to ask you, but just I really hear when you when you you discovered a lot about yourself, and mm. you mentioned something before. You're saying we're maybe not conscious of stuff, yeah, and that's where my role really is when I work with people is to help bring awareness to the things and patterns in their lives that they're not aware of. You know, and help work through it with them to go, <clears throat> okay, Tiffany, so you've decided to take up boxing. Why? Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, and it's there's never any judgment. But it's just a bit, somehow you work that out. I don't know whether you've got some help in it, but you kind of worked a whole lot of stuff out about yourself. That's amazing. I That's feel, amazing. Yeah, self-awareness is a bit of a, 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 a gift and a journey and I think... It, it evolves, and when you think you've got it, <laughs> there's a lot more to come. But uh, yeah. I've always, I always feel people have often commented on, "Oh, you're very self-aware about things." I always feel like you're. When I when I first started on that journey and and going really deep, my biggest frustration was self-awareness because it was like uh, ignorance was bliss. Maybe life was better when I just thought I was, you know, kicking goals and doing the thing and whatever. But then you get this self and it's like, what now? And all, and I see how people can grab a diagnosis and 
hold on to it and let it pull them down like an anchor because yeah. because there is that oh, oh, yeah. oh I'm broken then there's no oh I've got this and then you just fall into whatever category that can that can lay on onto you. Um, I've never gone down the medication path. I've I pulled up past trauma, and for me, that was childhood sexual abuse that I had mm. suppressed and and f- kind of forgotten about to most part for most of my life. And then it was just a case of all right, now I can see where life is going off track because of this. Now I can see where things that probably need to function differently, and it's a lifetime of work. Yeah. Particularly with complex um, post-traumatic stress. Yes. You experience a child. How do I ever feel safe in the world? How do I even know what feeling safe is? You know, Mm. for people like me, my trauma was adult trauma. Mm. So I had this whole childhood of feeling loved and safe. But working with people who have been through complex trauma, and I'm so sorry you have, is... You know, a question I'll ask myself, tell me when you feel safe in your life. And they'll struggle to answer that sometimes. Mm. Like, you know, one of those, there's Tiffany, the fighter, you know, thinking, wow, what's, what's the fight about? You know, and so it, it's mm. great to be curious about it. And with trauma, there's no way around trauma no. to heal. No. You've got to go through trauma, manage it, build resilience, and you've done that. Um, and, and, like, we will always continue to have have that, um, but we can manage it well. That's the key thing. And you mentioned before how sometimes a diagnosis can people go, oh, well, I'm this now, so I'm, I'm buggered, and they get stuck and I've seen it with trauma a lot, you know, people come up and they're not really committed to to doing the hard yards to work through it, then nothing's going to change. So I say if nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah. And we don't have to stay stuck. And there is help and support. And, you know, a good therapist will help you with that and bring awareness to those things that are not in our consciousness and we've all got it. Mm. You know, we've all got it. But the commitment to work through it, to tackle it, yeah, it's a life journey. No one can heal post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress yeah. injury. Yeah. But by God, we can learn to manage it yeah. and have good lives. It's so You've true. It's so true. And for me, it's taken a bunch of different therapies and experiences at different times when I'm ready for each. And, one, you know, one, one thing I often laugh about is how at at first, I was just poking around looking for the therapist that was going to get like tick the box and say, "I'll go in and I'll tell him because I've googled and I know now. Like here was my experience. Here's what I've seen going on. Here I am in your chair. Here's your two hundred bucks. Give me the answer. Give me the pill. Do not the Excuse like me. the metaphoric pill. Like give you know like yeah yeah. And you know my I've told this many times, but four sessions into one of my therapists, he's like Tiffany. Normally, by the fourth session, I've got a real deep sense of who someone is and what they need from me. I don't get that from you, right? Because I've got because I'd built these walls that yeah. were just um, like and so that was here was the boxing ring that for me was a place of safety, and I now know that's because it was visible. Because I'm in there with the opponent, I'm in there with the predator, but the world can see me and they can see me looking after me with no one's help. 
So I understood that metaphor. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, there was a because it was those things. I was like, what is it about this space that is essentially a discomfort? What is it about it that is comfortable to me? And why am I going back in there? And those yeah. it was those little things that I went, ah, I see that. I see that's com- of course that's comfort. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's yes. Yeah, so based on your lived experience. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Our journeys are all so bloody unique, mm. and yeah, for most people, typically would be going, "I ain't going that ring. I'm going to get hurt." Yeah, and that's fear. And for others, it would be, "Oh, I don't want to hurt anyone. Like we just shouldn't be there." But I love your awareness around the why. Mm. And you're mm. right with with therapy. It's about understanding why, getting awareness. When we get awareness, we have choices. Without awareness, we just keep going yeah. the same way. Yeah. So, yeah, I love, I love your work and that journey. It's, um, we're fascinating people, oh. aren't they? They say every person's life is worth a book, and uh, I reckon that's true. Some are good, maybe a better read than others. I love that and I am and I think that's what has helped me move through so much of it at such a pace lately is I'm just fascinated by the project that is me, like this, the things that happen in my body to experiences, you stand next to a horse, you have an emotion, what's an emotion, emotional change of behaviour, like that whole thing just fascinates me and, and the strings we can pull to make changes in our lives. And what I love just hearing you is you are curious about it. Yeah. And with curiosity comes possibility. You know, if I'm curious about who I am or why I do this or what I experience, well, your mind's open yeah. to to learn and 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 bring into your consciousness what's out of it. It's not some great hippie journey, and um, you know, like I. I struggled for many years. I, I never got help and soldiered on and, you know, I regret that. I regret I didn't reach out to get support way earlier in my life. How um, long do you think you knew you were struggling and maybe wanted help before you reached out for help? 1985 until about six years ago. Wow, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, I threw myself into my work and my career and, and you know, I, was, I worked really, really hard. I worked, and then, yeah, I have two sons, two wonderful boys, and I was involved in their cricket and their footy and, um, you know, I had a great partner as well, a great wife at the time. And, yeah, so my life was kind of full, but I never really had much time where I was good at sitting with myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, went through suicidal thoughts and that, and that journey that many of us have been on yeah. and survived that okay and look back on it. It's painful and shaming to look back on. But Do you feel like when you're in a state like that, do you feel like a different person? Do they feel like your thoughts? Well, okay, so my memory... They weren't rational thoughts, I think. So definitely me, um, but I didn't know enough of what was going on. I hadn't put my hand up for that support. So mm. I think 
you know, you just wanted to end the the way you are, mm. not the way you are always, mm. but you, that deeper, dark part of yourself. I think it's painful. Yeah, and sometimes you don't even know why. It's like I, I, the best my experience was was that it was in a lot of pain. I wasn't. I didn't. I, I was loved. I was cared for, but I didn't feel that. Mm. I didn't think I was valuable. I thought I was deeply flawed and, yeah, and I just didn't want to keep feeling that way. You know, we mask it well. Mm. Some of us can be really good at putting the mask on and putting all these walls up and being hard to reach and hard to get to know. It was all of those things. Mm. But, yeah, really dark time, really dark time. And you know, have a look at the rates of veteran suicides now and and even within, you know, VicPole and emergency services, it's bloody heartbreaking. It really is. Do you know what I'm curious about? This isn't probably presently unanswerable question, but I'm sure I'll find someone to answer it at some point. I've learned a lot about oh, people and our psychology and our physiology and our biology and and trauma and one thing that makes perfect sense and really landed with me was when I recently spoke to someone and about that intergenerational trauma and the reason behind some of the despicable things that humans do to the people they love and the people around us, but evolutionary reasons why they do it. And then you go, ah, oh, right, right, because because the way that, I mean, even you look at our our bodies, there's nothing like anxiety is a message that tells yeah. us that something in our environment is not right. So it's a message. So when, and, and that creates a behavior. So what I'm really interested about is where is the system going wrong or what is the purpose of the state that we get in where the human mind is going, I'm better off taking myself out of this world and ending it from an evolutionary perspective that intrigues me because for so many things that were once unanswerable for me there are evolutionary reasons that make sense yeah it is i i I've found around suicide the absence of self-worth and is massive factor yeah and Feeling hopeless um, was massive factors. You know, it, it's interesting. You can still, I still could experience joy around that time, but it was elusive. Mm-hmm. That were the two things for me. But I think it's such an individual thing, Tiffany, about you know suicidal thoughts, um, anxieties. Different. You're right. Anxiety is information. Yeah. I'm anxious because usually fear-based in my experience. Yeah. I fear something. It might not be a physical threat. It might be I fear exams. I fear trying to find work. I fear losing my job. I fear my partner will leave me. So that anxiety is information that if you can process and work it out what the message is. Mm. And learn to sort of self-regulate a bit, you know. It's something that you know you can work through pretty well. Kind of fear-based thing. Fascinating, aren't we? Really, yeah. Humans, yeah. So much I'm so. glad I have eleven horses, Tiffany. I can go out in the paddock and cheat. 
<laughs> I'm so jealous right now. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell our listeners, how can we help? How can we help your foundation? And for those listening that are like, oh, I definitely need some horses in my life, how can we access it? <laughs> well, you can find us on uh, Facebook, The Path of the Horse, or our website, which is if you Google Path of the Horse, you'll find us www.pathofthehorse.com.au. And, um, yeah, we are a charity. We have tax-deductible status and we get some amazing donations from time to time. It really helps us keep going and and helps us keep providing um, support for veterans and emergency service workers where there's no funding available and, and quite o- often we will we see a lot of clients that have got the arse out of their pants. Like mental health in this country is a little bit for the rich and famous. Mm. But, you know, if I've got a mum rings up who's been subject to domestic violence and three kids and she hasn't got two bob and needs some support, we just say, come out, see us. Um, so, yeah, they can do that. You can donate through our web page as well. And if people are interested in knowing more, you know, send us an email or call, my number is 0418-354-362. People can call me direct. We're pretty accessible. We have two female practitioners and, and the crusty old bloke, which is me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, we, yeah, we're going okay. We're, we're doing well. And, yeah, I think the thing is I love your curiosity and I encourage people when they're thinking about their own mental health or experiences like this that are a bit out of left field. I mean, our, our fundamental core principles, psychotherapy are the same, but it's a really different experience when you're outside and you're with horses. So curiosity is gold. Yeah. You know, replace, I learned to replace my judgment with curiosity and my life changed so much for the better, you know. Part my judgment, which was a protection mechanism. Be curious about that person or myself, like you are. Yeah, I love it. Oh, Dean, I have adored this conversation. Thank you so much, and thank you for the work you're doing. It is absolutely incredible. Oh, Tiffany, it was lovely to have a chat with you, and thanks for sharing. You know, I found myself sitting here quite moved, really, and wondering a whole lot about wanting to know more about your experience, and that's where being curious is a bit of a is a bit of an interesting thing, you know. I sort of, I, I, you think your journey's been incredible and well, well done, let's, you. Let's pencil in another chat. We'll get you, a, we might get you back on because I reckon we could talk more. And I'm a pretty open book with talking about this sort of stuff. So, yeah, no worries. And we'll try and maybe try and do one where we, we can be outside with the herd oh. and um, we can get with that bunch of posers. And I'll probably try and smack the camera and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> that's all part of it. Oh, beautiful. I would adore that. Thank you so much, Dean. Lovely to talk to you, Tiffany. Thank you for your time. And, yeah, to anyone listening to the podcast, thanks for listening. And, yeah, if we can help reach out.